Acts 15 verse 1, and the title is, again, Identity Issues. Acts 15 verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dis, uh, dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and uh, Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. News, that is, not nude. Uh, when they came to Jerusalem, they were, welcomed by, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep all the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and belief. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors was able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God has done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted to idols, sexual immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. And with them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the, for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth 
what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do good to avoid these things. Farewell. This is the word of the Lord. And as a congregation, we say, thanks be to God. You know, this, this part in Acts 15, it's really long, so thank you for bearing with me. I think it was like four and a half minutes of reading. Um, but this is one of my favorite sections in all of Acts, really because it displays the messiness that is community, salvation, and transformation all in one place. You know, it's a story about the reality of life with God in community. Mm-hmm. And this life is necessarily messy because we are messy. You know, this messiness, it doesn't mean that we avoid hard talks. You know, rather we become more and more like Jesus by putting on humility and courage and listening to the Holy Spirit and to one another. But how did this whole scenario begin? We've got to imagine that we were with the disciples there in Antioch as we are Gentiles. You know, if you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is any person who's not a, a Jewish person, uh, any person who's not obeying the full law of Moses and is culturally and uh, Jewish. And so we imagine we are in Antioch with these people. We share the same faith as, as them. We believe in the same Jesus as them. And, and they're giving their lives to Jesus just as we are. But then these people come into town who we think are our brothers and sisters. We think we're going to sit at the table with them, take communion, enjoy fellowship. And they come into town and they say, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. In other words, unless you are circumcised like we are, we can't share fellowship with you. You can't be a Christian. And all the women around are like, okay, cool. But the guys, the men, raise their eyebrows, they turn white, and they're like, yo, what are you talking about? Is that that for real? Uh, Because circumcision for them wasn't just a pain. It wasn't just like literal physical pain in their bodies. It wasn't just inconvenience. See, I have a friend who like as an adult, he got circumcised. Uh, Like he chose to get circumcised as an adult which is not very common, uh, but he did it and he, he did it by choice. And it wasn't for like a religious purpose or anything like that. And um, it was an inconvenience. It hurt, you know, uh, but it wasn't like the end of the world. And, and if you're thinking like, oh, I want salvation in Jesus. I want to be part of this family. Like that's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's not small. Don't get me wrong, but it's not that big of a deal to go chop chop. Uh, but for these people in Greco-Roman culture, it was a huge deal. Because circumcision for them wasn't just physical pain and it wasn't just inconvenience. Circumcision in Greco-Roman culture was considered a quote-unquote mutilation of a previously perfect shaped organ. Being uncircumcised in Greco-Roman culture was the only culturally appropriate option. It was even necessary if you ever wanted to compete in, in the Greco-Roman games, in the, in the Greek gymnasiums. So say you're a, 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 a male and you, you, every weekend you go and you play uh, sports. You wrestle and you run track 
at the Greek gymnasium in town with all of your friends who are also culturally Gentiles. And you guys all go to the gymnasium every weekend. Uh, but to go to the gymnasium, one, you had to be male. Two, you, you actually had to be naked there. And you had to be uncircumcised. If you were circumcised, you were kicked out. You weren't allowed to come in. You'd literally be ostracized from that community. And so uncircumcision was a cultural thing. It was everybody in your family and your community was uncircumcised in the Greco-Roman culture for the Gentiles. It wasn't, being circumcised wasn't a matter of pain and inconvenience. This was your cultural identity. Mm-hmm. You'd be changing who you are. You'd be disintegrating yourself and your culture from your physical body if you had to get circumcised. This was not an issue of inconvenience It was an issue of identity. And for a Gentile Christian to get circumcised would have been a statement of cultural alienation. It would be to separate themselves from their community. And to force circumcision would be to force cultural assimilation. So the question for us is, what is a Christian identity? What is that for us today? In other words, what does it mean to be in Christ? And how does this affect Christian community? You know, do all Christians need to act and look the same? Do we all need to believe the same things? Where is there freedom in Christian expression and the way of Christ? And, and where must there be conformity? Here are some examples I think that might help us notice our personal biases it might be similar to those in the first century, first, first century Jews. And we might bristle against some of these. And that's, that's the intent. Because this conversation in Acts 15 caused sharp debate and dispute. It was not a small matter. It was not a comfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. It was a courageous one. Yeah. And so I ask, do we need to sing certain types of songs in our worship on Sundays for us to be in fellowship with one another? Do we need to sing hymns or gospel or contemporary for us to have respect for one another and honor one another? Here's another question. Is a black person's way of speaking when they're at home as welcomed on stage as a white person's way of speaking at home? Is it as authoritative and respected? Do we honor it the same way? Is a person's immigration status a prerequisite for full community here in our church? Does a woman need to be culturally feminine or a man culturally masculine to be valued and uplifted and honored in our community? Would a Muslim woman who becomes a Christian be encouraged to remove her head covering or would her hijab be celebrated among us? Here's another one. Is a person who wears clothes that are traditionally associated with the opposite sex welcomed and embraced in our church? And if we think about questions like this, we might, like some of them might be like, oh yeah, of course, no problem. But other ones, we're like, well, I don't, I don't know about that. Am I okay with that? How do I feel about that? And they might make you uncomfortable. They might make you mad at me. I hope not. But they are meant to make us uncomfortable. We have to ask these questions of one another. We have to wrestle with hard questions in ourselves and among ourselves. Just as these disciples did. And so I asked you today, what is your identity? What do you identify as? 
Who do you identify with? As we think about our identities, I want to ask, have you ever had a friend or acquaintance who maybe you spent a lot of time with, but you always kind of felt like, like they didn't actually want you around, like you didn't really belong there? Have you ever been in a place or around a person or a group of people where you really just never felt like you belonged? I think there's a few things that can contribute to this. I'm going to share a little bit about myself. You know, language, I think, is something that can be related to our identity, the way we speak, our accents, the words we use. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, in Canada, you can say the word crap in a sermon and get away with it like I just did. In England, that same word is a curse word. It's totally inappropriate. Definitely cannot be said on Sundays. And maybe you can't say it here either. I don't know. Um, but for instance, when I was a young teenager, I had one of those friends who I, I kind of always felt like he didn't really want me around, you know, uh, but I would hang out with him fairly frequently. And I was at his house one time and he was telling me about something that happened that day that was hard. And I said, oh, that sucks. And his dad heard me and his dad yelled at me. and was like, you can't say that. that you know, it's like, that's a bad word. That's basically a curse word. I'm like, what? <laughs> I've been saying that since I was three years old. You know, so it was totally like culturally different words. That same person, you know, I was, I was hanging out with that same friend. We were playing basketball in his cul-de-sac. He, uh, he like accidentally threw the ball into a car. His dad came out and called us a word that I thought was a curse word. And I was like, yo, I can't say this, but you said that? Like cultural alienation, especially because it was directed towards me. That same friend uh, had an Xbox party one time. And if you don't know what an Xbox is, it's video games. Um, but he had an Xbox party one time and I, I'm terrible at video games. And so I, I was over there playing call of duty with him and, and all these guys. And he kept killing me in the call of duty game, which is like you shoot each other in the game. And I said, jokingly, if you kill me again, I'll have to fight you. And a couple minutes later, he killed me again. And I kind of like bucked at him, you know, like joking, right? Like I joked like, Oh yeah, I got to fight you now. Totally joking. And he had like this look of terror in his eyes and he took his Xbox controller and he threw it at me as hard as he could and it hit me right in the face and I had braces back then. And so my mouth starts gushing and uh, we both kind of like looked at each other like stunned like, yo, what just happened? And then we, then I actually had to fight him, right? And uh, I had to give him the work, you know, and I I actually still though from, from that day, I still, I don't know if you can see it. I still have like scars on the inside of my mouth from where my braces were lodged into my lip and I had to pull them out later. It was awful. Um, (laughs) But all that to say, there's either circumstances or words or friends uh, where maybe we feel like we're not really in full fellowship, where we don't really belong. We're not really fully known and loved by that person or in that setting or in that community. And all of those are issues of identity. And for the people, the disciples in this passage, the issue of circumcision was an issue of identity. So much so that it directly affected the fellowship between the disciples. Jewish disciples would not share table fellowship. In other words, they would not take communion with uncircumcised Gentiles. Part of that was because they're uncircumcised. The other part of that was because they had food restrictions. They would only eat certain types of food. They would not eat food sacrificed to idols. They would not eat food uh, that had blood in it which, or, or food from strangled animals that still had the blood in it. They deemed these unclean, unfit. 
And so you have multiple cultural identity issues on both sides of the aisle here. You have people who are, are uncomfortable eating food that other people are eating. And then you have people who are uncircumcised and can't eat with people who are circumcised. Mm. So on both sides of the aisle, we have issues of identity that are preventing true life together in Christ. So what must we do? Well, they reasoned among themselves. Peter begins to share his experience with the group in verse 7. You know, everything he says is about what God did, not what people did. He, you know, God did this among us. God spoke among us. God displayed that he did not discriminate between Jews and Gentiles. God, God, God. Why is the focus all on God? One, because he's powerful and amazing. But two... Because we are people who strive to love our neighbors. We are people who strive to be selfless. We are people who strive to be like Jesus. But we all have biases. We all have flaws. And sometimes we're blind to these. And so God opens the door and opens the mouth of Peter to share the gospel with the Gentile people, the non-Jews. And this was surprising to Peter. And just to confirm the Gentile inclusion... Because otherwise it may not have been accepted. God visibly pours his Holy Spirit onto the Gentile disciples. People are made clean. Their hearts are purified by their faithfulness to Jesus, not their cultural assimilation. So salvation is experienced through the grace of Jesus by all people without discrimination. Peter says we experience God's salvation just as they do. In other words, we're all leveled at the foot of the cross. The way of Jesus is not distinguished by cultural identity. And so James, the brother of Jesus, agrees with the testimonies of Peter, of Barnabas, and Paul. And Paul later equates baptism into Jesus with the true circumcision of heart. So that's what unites us all under the blood of Jesus. And so the communal gathering decides together not to burden people with an unbearable yoke, And they decide that only these these food restrictions and a prohibition against sexual immorality are necessary. And the issues of food are raised, like I said earlier, only because cultural identities are at stake. For Jews and Gentiles to have fellowship together, to have communion together, they must love one another enough to respect how they eat. And so the requirements about food are brought to respect and honor the Jewish brothers and sisters, just as circumcision, or the lack thereof, honors the Gentile brothers and sisters. And sexual morality kind of stands out, right? There's three things about food that all kind of make sense together, right? Uh, But then sexual morality kind of is thrown in there, and you're like, well, why, why does he include that? And I think the reason is because sexual morality was in and of itself prohibited Because it's against the way of Jesus. Just as forced circumcision would hurt the bodies of Gentiles and disintegrate their bodies from their identity in Christ, so too would sexual morality as it hurts our bodies and separates us from the way of Jesus and dishonors our own bodies. And so all this is told through the understanding and the lens of Christian identity. Of what does it mean to be like Jesus How do we live together as a people like Jesus? And so we come back to that question of, well, what is a Christian identity? 
And I think it's defined as this. A person is created in the image of God and therefore has divine, invaluable worth and dignity. Humans in Christ are also sons and daughters of the Most High God. The Lord's words over Jesus at his baptism are the same words over every single man and woman who's baptized into Jesus as well. That is the true Christian identity. That you are a beloved daughter of the Most High God. In you, God is well pleased. Laurelyn, cat. The Jonah, Cameron, Mark. You are a beloved son of God. In you, God is well pleased. In you, despite how your body may appear, despite your attractions, despite your cultural identity or political affiliation, despite your gender, the most true and significant thing about you is that you are a child of God. And with you, he is well pleased, just as you are. The Christian expression of this identity is to offer this body that you find yourself dwelling in as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The cultural expressions of your body, God honors because they display God's diversity and his creation beautifully. What you do with your bodies communally is absolutely vital. This council of the disciples in Jerusalem was all about Christian identity and how that identity is expressed together. Thus, the embodied Christian identity must go to the table with its brothers and sisters. It must take communion alongside those from him who are different from him or her. It must offer its sexuality up to the living God in purity and holiness. One body, many parts, joined together holy and pleasing to God. And so I have two practices for us this week. One is let us take communion today in our breakout rooms and tell the people that we're in a breakout room with, that tell them, say on them, that they are a beloved son or daughter of the Most High God and that he is well pleased with them. Because every week when we take communion, this is the reality that we're remembering celebrating and embodying together. We do not take communion on our own. We take it as a family with our brothers and sisters. And as a fellowship, we ought to be reminding one another that the truest thing about you, your truest identity, is that you are a beloved son or daughter of the Most High God. And with you, He is well pleased. And so the second practice I have for us today is to pray for others. Just as we talked about on Wednesday, the prayer of intercession. Pray for others. Pray for others both here and in your surrounding community that they might realize and grow in their identity as sons and daughters of the living God. Because we all need those reminders personally. I know I do. That that's the truest thing about me. That God, I am God's beloved And he is well pleased with me. But we also need to be reminded to grow into that identity. For that to become the thing that rules over every other part of our lives. So that our whole life truly becomes a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. So pray for others each day this week. 
that they might realize and grow into that identity. Because it is in this context of embodied people in community that we will grow and flourish in our identities as beloved sons and daughters of God. It is here where the messiness of community, salvation, and transformation will be embodied and experienced by us. And it is here that others will find their home and will experience God's salvation too. For in this world, we will be like Jesus. Amen. With that, I'll say a quick prayer, and then we'll go into breakout rooms to take communion. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you, and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. Amen.